You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 6pm on May 7, 2023, presented by Rev. Bill Medley. Thank you, Chris. Uh, good to see you all, and uh, good to be able to be here to look at the Word of God with you. I'm just going to um, read from the text which is John 14, verse 15 to 31. Um, let's, let's read together. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and will, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active. Thank you that it is uh, your word. And Lord, uh, teach us now uh, and guide us uh, in what you would have to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so when people say to you, how do you know the Bible is the word of God? And you've heard them say that, and they'll say, it's just written down by men. could have been changed around. How do you really know? Well, <clears throat> I preached on this text a week ago, and I'm not actually going to do an exposition on it tonight. All I'm going to do is try and draw some of the implications that come out of, of this text that speak into and address this issue. So we'll start just by looking at verse 26. I'll read that 
but the counsel of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's saying God's Holy Spirit is going to teach the disciples all things, remind them of everything that Jesus has said. Why would they need to be reminded? Because we forget all the time. I don't know about you, but I certainly do. And a lot of Christian people think that these verses are making promises to all of us. But for starters, we weren't there to remember the things that were said in the first place. So it can't be directly to us. But rather, this is Jesus. Jesus who, in John's Gospel, perhaps more than anywhere else in the Scriptures, declares and records that he is none less than the eternal Son of God, God himself in the flesh, guaranteeing here in that verse we just read uh, that the, the word of God is not something that God left up to hit and miss. He didn't leave it up to human beings and their memory, how, they might, how well they might re- remember. Now, we know that the foundation of the Christian gospel is from the apostles' teaching. So is it that we're actually following men and not God? How does that work? Well, I remember asking a a well-meaning Christian before I was a Christian myself, saying, how do you know this is the word of God? And he said, well, the Bible says of itself it's the word of God. And I said, well, any book could say that. You know, I could say that. How do you know? How does that? He didn't have an answer that, that... Really, and nor is the answer I'm going to give you here the the complete exhaustive answer. There are all kinds of ways we could look into why the Bible is the word of God. Prophecies, the infallible prophecy, the prediction of many things that have infallibly come to pass from the scriptures, mathematically impossible for it to just have happened by chance. There are all kinds of ways we could look at why the Bible is the word of God. But what we've got here from Jesus is something more than just saying, well, because I'm saying it's the word of God. The Bible says of itself it's the word of God. The Bible, according to Jesus, did not just get arbitrarily passed down where some, some of it could have got lost in translation, the Chinese whispers getting passed on and it gets slightly changed over time. No, what Jesus is saying here in the person of himself is that God actually showed up in this world in person and gave his guarantee. He proved who he was rising from the dead and then he gave us his personal guarantee that the words that are written down would not be simply these apostles making up their own ideas and coming up with their own, or, or for that matter, any failures they might have in memory or whatever else, but rather these words that are written down, Jesus is promising, guaranteeing that it is God's word because he personally is going to send, along with the Father, will send the Holy Spirit 
to guide them, to remind them, as, as we read. Again, I'll read verse 26. You know, we say, or people say to you, well, what if they forgot some things? The counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. But what if they decide they were going to slip in some of their own ideas along with the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Well, later in the same speech, Jesus says in John 16, verse 13, where, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. In other words, he'll do things that only God could do, predicting the future as God did through these apostles. So these verses are not directed at us 21st century Christians in the same way they are directed to the disciples. It's not that we don't have guidance and leading from the Holy Spirit, but we were not there to remember in the first place to be able to forget anything. But this is telling us as 21st century Christians, how we can know objectively why this is the word of God. Uh, some people like those letters, you know, the, the Bibles with the letters in red when Jesus is speaking, yeah, because that must be the really inspired stuff. If it's got in the red letters, it's Jesus' own words, all right? Well, Jesus himself uh, quoted the Old Testament as the word of God. Was that in red letters? In John's gospel, even a couple of chapters earlier, chapter 12, verse 28, the father is speaking directly. How come that's not in red letters? And what Jesus is saying about the inspiration coming to the disciples to guide them into all truth means that all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, so it's very popular among the liberal Christian church to say, well, what about the Apostle Paul, though? You know, he wasn't there getting this uh, instruction and promise from Jesus. He must have been making up his own ideas because he's the one who goes on about those, those issues of morality and stuff that, that people don't like. Well... <clears throat> If you've got one of those red letter Bibles, okay, have a just memorize this one. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It's in red letters. It's Jesus' words saying, This man Paul is my chosen instrument to carry my name to Israel and to the Gentiles. In other words, the Apostle Paul gets a more personal guarantee that his words are inspired, they are speaking on behalf of Jesus than any of the other disciples. So that doesn't cut it either. So all the Bible should be in red letters, if you're going to have red letters. Makes for hard reading, but nevertheless. So, so yes, God wanted to give a, a witness that's based on an historical record through real historical people. He gives this work to the apostles to write. And yes, even unbelievers can examine uh, 
the credibility of the, the record of history written by eyewitnesses, willing to give their own lives, sign these gospels in their own blood, as it were, to, to testify to, the, to its truth. That alone makes it an extraordinary uh, credibility in, in terms of, of any document, of any era. And yes, the New Testament alone provides more evidence in terms of the number of manuscripts than any other document from the ancient world and, and far closer to the date written, when, when they were written, than any other document in the history of the world. And so, yes, from a purely, even if we were looking at a secular, scholarly, historical point of view, we can objectively say that there's more evidence for the accuracy of the New Testament being handed down to us accurately than any other document in the history of the world prior to the invention of printing when obviously things became more accountable in terms of being changed around and so on. But even with all of that, there's still the possibility of human error. There's still possibility of Chinese whispers if it was just an historical document. But here in our text, we have a guarantee from Jesus himself that Jesus is not leaving these disciples now. And I've given you my word, pass it on, and then he ascends up into heaven, relying on their memory, relying on their credibility. And he's up there in heaven looking down on I gave them my word and now they've forgotten that bit and they put some other bits in and I'm stuck up here and I can't do a thing about it. Right? That is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, I'm not leaving it up to them. The idea of the Bible as the word of God is not a church idea. It's not a Christian idea. It's Jesus' idea. And yes, Jesus, not only in these verses, is putting his stamp of approval on the New Testament, but as I said before, he referred to the Old Testament as the word of God. So when people are struggling, people say, you know, what's the short answer to that question? How do you know? The Bible is the word of God. You haven't got much time. You're in the elevator and they're saying it to you. you know, you're getting off at floor six. What are you going to say? Answer, God showed up in person in this world, proved it, who he was, rising from the dead, and he said that the Bible is the word of God. God told us. He showed up in person and told us. That's what Jesus is doing here. He came into this world and he's telling these disciples, I'm going to send my spirit to make sure you get this right, to make sure this is God's word. <clears throat> the only, well, you know, people talk about being spirit-filled these days. I mean, we're, I think the spirit is leading me. Maybe the spirit is, but how do you know when 
how can you get it wrong sometimes? You know, this has become a, a bit of a thing these days. We've got a lot of prophets out there who are prophesying things. And there seems to be a little bit of a lowering of the bar on this prophecy thing because in the Old Testament, if you got it wrong once, you're a false prophet, you're going to be stoned to death, you know. So does that mean, you know, when one of these prophets gets saying something wrong, I did this once, you said by October there was going to be 5 million Christians, going to get, but it didn't happen. Said, no, no, because they didn't repent. I said, well, I've got the rocks here ready, you know, if you need to be, you know, sorry, the word of God says I've got to do this, but... You know, what, what is that? Well, how can you know? People are saying, oh, I'm led by the Spirit. How can you know you're led by the Spirit? We believe that the Spirit does lead us. I, I daily am looking for the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. But how can you know the Spirit's leading you? Well, there's only one Spirit-filled place in this whole world that you can absolutely guarantee is Spirit-filled. It's the Word of God. The Bible. It's the only place we can be certain. And the Bible says, test all things. <clears throat> now, if this Bible is the word of God, one of the objections you're going to hear, if you haven't already many times, well, it can't be God's message to us because there's so many interpretations. People come up with, you know, Christians, they come up with different ideas about things. And, and there's two real, I'm going to categorise two different ways where there are interpretations. One, one of those ways is perfectly reasonable because the Bible itself says it has what is called disputable matters, that is things that Christians are going to disagree on. Romans 14, 1, do not pass judgment on disputable matters. Words have charity towards each other about things that are disputable. And then, and then the Bible says that there are, there are things though that are so important that we cannot compromise on lest we fail even to be a Christian. You go, okay, that's, that's so fine, but then how do we know which ones are the things, the first importance and the things that are disputable? Well, as it ha turns out, God even tells us that. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, these are the things of first importance. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That Jesus rose again according to the scriptures. In other words, the gospel and repentance unto life in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus. These are the things that we stand or fall together as Christians. These are the things that we must believe in and they are not open to interpretation or any other such thing. But... There's another reason, perhaps more relevant to that question, well, if the Bible's the word of God, how come there's so many interpretations? There's another reason, and it's not because the word of God is not clear on those things. It's because people 
who say they want to be Christians read these things, whether it's to do with morality or a God of judgment, hell, I don't like the idea of hell. They look at these different things or gender roles or whatever it is, they look at these things and they say, I don't like it. There must be some other explanation that God I believe in wouldn't have that stuff that's going to make me change my behaviour or make me have to believe that he judges and all these sorts of things. And so they take, instead of just, you've got two choices in that situation, you can go, well, Christianity is not for me, I'll join the Buddhists or whatever. Or let's hang around and twist and turn those texts of Scripture until we came up with something that says I can live the way I want without having to change my behaviour. I can uh, go on and believe that there's no such thing as hell or whatever it is. In other words, is it really a problem with the Bible as being a matter of interpretation or is it a moral issue of, I just don't like what God's telling me. You know, this, this text really is unfolding some things about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we've just been looking at one so far, the, the, his inspiring the writers, the disciples who would write down the Gospels, letters of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of God who's at work and has always been at work in everything that we give praise for in creation, in salvation. The Holy Spirit was there from the beginning as the creator. We see him right there in the beginning in Genesis 1 verse 2. He's there through the Old Testament. He's Leading, you know, we think the day of Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. But, but look through the Old Testament. He was there. He was leading the, the judges, the kings of Israel. He had a much lower profile, as it were, as the almost like the equivalent of Jesus was there in the Old Testament, but his incarnation doesn't come until the New Testament. Well, the Holy Spirit was there in the Old Testament. Then day of Pentecost is like the equivalent of Jesus' incarnation. The Holy Spirit comes in a totally new measure, new power. But he was there in the Old Testament. And then, of course, he comes to empower Jesus after Jesus' baptism. Then the Holy Spirit went the whole way. He wasn't just there all along and what led up to our salvation. The Holy Spirit was there at the cross. You ever notice that? Hebrews 9 verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. Uh, that, that's too big to get our heads around. 
No one's eternal except God, the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself. uh, Through the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself up. There's, There's something too big for us to really imagine and get our heads around here because you think about what Jesus died on the cross for. We all know the answer to that. He died for our sins to pay the penalty so that we can have life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Great. What if we rejected Jesus? What happens? Well, we have to pay for our own sins. And how long does that last? Well, according to the scriptures, God's eternal. You sin against the eternal God and you reject Jesus. It's an eternal penalty. Hell is forever and ever and ever and ever. So how does Jesus dying on the cross equate to eternal hell? Didn't didn't he pay the full penalty of our hell? Amen, he did. He did. So how did he do it then if you just, one man dying on a cross at one moment, pay eternal hell? Through the eternal spirit. Something eternal going on at the cross when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something eternal happening there. And it was happening through the eternal Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there at the cross. So God had a a plan in all eternity. He knew the world would rebel against him. He knew how everything would, would go bad, but he had a plan to bring about good. But in that plan, there was a plan that started way back. Like the, This was like God's you know, space missile mission from like, you know, those times they send out satellites to or a, a spaceship. They're going to send it out to a planet Mars or somewhere. But they've got to time it from years in advance because uh, planets are going around and around, so they've got to sort of get it so it just gets there right in time, right? So it's a plan from way back. Well, I'm going to tell you about a plan that goes so far back into all eternity where God had this plan to zero in. The Father chooses the Son and chooses us in him and says to the Son, get to go on this mission into time, zone in through eternity into time to come into this world, to become one of us, to grow up, to be a man and die on the cross in our place and you're going to zone in from all eternity, come into time and go to that mission. But even that is not God's final destination. His plan from way back in eternity was to actually go in further than that. His plan was to go in the person of the Holy Spirit to go all the way in from eternity into time into you if you're a believer. He's in you. Several times we've already read in verse 
17, for instance, several times in this text, but let me give you one, the, the, verse 17. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So that is God's final destination, zeroing in from eternity to come and be in you and live with his people. And for how long is he going to live with you? Well, read verse 16 with me. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you. For how long? Forever. Forever. So if you believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is not only in you, he's staying forever. That means if, if you're a believer in Jesus now, you can't later on not be a believer in Jesus. You can't just fall over and fall out and go, oh, Oh, look, I've, I've fallen over. I must have done something so bad. The Holy Spirit's in you. He'll pick you back up again because he stays with you how long? Forever. 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 Now, this promise of, of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to be with us, in us forever, is actually something that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. There are several times, and, and Chris read to us before from Leviticus 26, there are several places in the Old Testament we could have read where it speaks about God's promise to be with his people. I will dwell with them. I will dwell with them. Wow, if they could only realise when they kept hearing those words just how profound that was going to be in the long run. I will dwell with them. I will dwell in you. I will dwell among you. All these Old Testament references, they're really speaking in fulfilment of what's happened, or rather the fulfilment is what's happening in when Jesus promises this. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the thing is there's no neutral ground. It's not like some people have God's spirit, some people have the devil's spirit, some people are just neutral. I'm sitting on the fence, you know. You know the old saying, the devil owns the fence, right? Let me, let me show you an example of that. Ephesians 2 verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So that's the ruler of the kingdom of the air is the devil and he's the spirit who in those who reject the gospel, and he says all of us also lived among them one time. In other words, there's only one of two spirits. Either you believe in Jesus and you've got the Holy Spirit in you, or you don't believe in Jesus and you don't have any neutral ground. You've got the spirit of the ruler of the kingdom of the air Devil. So people who have the spirit of the devil are not necessarily those 1970s heavy metal guys killing heads off chickens and stuff. You know, it's anyone who hasn't got the Holy Spirit. There's no neutral ground on this 
earth, and that explains a lot of things. You know, why is there such antagonism towards Christianity as opposed to other religions? Why is there uh, such tolerance for everybody else except for Christianity? And on the other hand, why is there such complacency about those who, who are open to the idea of, yeah, but I'm a bit busy, you know, I, I haven't got time for church, and I don't, you know, um, you know, the things that we all know we're going to die. I mean, wouldn't you be going, hey, I better find out about this? Either antagonism or complacency, because there's a spirit who doesn't want, to, want people just to simply believe in Jesus. And that's why when he says in verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So it's, it's not just that they can't see God, they can't accept him because they don't know him. You know, you look through the Gospel of John in the first 12 chapters, even some of the people who saw Jesus' miracles. So, you know, you, you've ever had people say to you, if I was there and I saw Jesus' miracles, then I believe. No, you, not necessarily. There were plenty of people who were there who saw the miracles, still didn't believe, still didn't believe. In fact, they were antagonistic, even when they could see. You ever heard anyone say this to you? I've had it said to me, what do you think it would be like if Jesus was walking among us on earth today instead of 2,000 years ago? And I, I, say, you know, I say, well, what it would be like is we'd kill him, just like we did 2,000 years ago because we don't like what he has to say. We don't like being told we're sinners. We don't like being told we've been trying to be our own God and live our own way. We don't like being told to repent and have to change our behaviour. We don't like that. So how can we know if we have the Holy Spirit in us or not? It just comes down to this. Do you really believe in Jesus? Do you really believe in Jesus? Have you come to repentance? Have you come to faith? If you do believe in Jesus, he's all, the Holy Spirit is already in you. That's how you come to believe. You couldn't have believed unless the Holy Spirit was in you. And you'll also know because your heart will be changed. You'll have a new love for Jesus and a new hatred for sin. Jesus says in verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and he will come and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, he says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Well, if obeying his teaching means being perfect and getting an obedience right, we're all in trouble. He can't possibly be talking about that. But he must mean something. He must mean something. And what he means is if you have the Spirit of God in your heart, you'll have a change of heart. you have a desire to obey his teaching. You can and will fail to do that. But the Holy Spirit, as I said before, will pick you up 
and remind you and bring you back. You'll not be like one of the disciples who'd already left by this stage, Judas. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. Judas outwardly looking pretty Christian, but inwardly sin. He was pilfering the money. He was plotting treachery. The distinction between those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't have the Holy Spirit is not whether you sin or not, but when you do sin, what are you going to do about it? Will you just excuse it and go, oh, well, everybody sins, but what can I do? If you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit will grieve when you sin and you will feel that. You will feel this doesn't feel right. And the Holy Spirit will point you back to Jesus to find forgiveness, to find cleansing and peace. So it's really about the state of the heart. If you're not sure if you have the Holy Spirit in you, there's some area of the Bible that you know you've not been, you, you're deliberately saying, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to bow the knee to Jesus. I'm not going to hand it over to him. Then if you can hear these words, and they're not my words, they're the words of Jesus' first words of his ministry. If you can hear these words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you can hear them, You can only hear them because the Holy Spirit of God is prompting you from the inside, saying, listen, turn to Jesus. Turn away from whatever that was and turn to me. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, that's God speaking to you from all eternity. And if God's speaking to you, I think it'd be a good idea to listen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Amen. More messages of hope at EssendonPresbyterianChurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.